Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night, depending on where you're listening from. My name is Casey Long. I'm one of the hosts here at the Coalescence Publishing Podcast. I have my co-host Wyatt Sutherland here with me. Wyatt. Hello, everyone. We have a very special episode for everyone. We're going to be continuing our world building series. We got a lot of awesome stuff planned. Don't worry. But before we get to that, listen to a message by our not paid sponsors, basically us. Um, so as you all have heard in the beginning, um, we are building a publishing company and we are excited to announce September 24th. The website for that will launch. Our bookstore will launch. Our merchandise store will launch. We will accept. Well, we will start accepting author submissions for publication. Um, our Discord will also launch. So, you know, on the past few episodes, I keep telling you all, you know, like you got to join our Discord and stuff. We're we've run into some, you know things we could do a little bit better with it so we're just wanting to kind of polish that for you guys but all that's going to be ready by september the 24th it's on a friday so you'll have the entire weekend to get yourself acquainted with the very awesome stuff that we'll be showing you all um other than that be sure you share this podcast with people that you think will enjoy it be sure to like share subscribe comment um, we're thinking of doing a live episode one day. Um, and if you want to be on the podcast, we're very open to that. We just, you know, don't want anything political. That's our rule. Nothing like that. But if you want to come on here and talk about some nerdy literature with us, by all means, our email is authors at coalescencepublishing.com Wyatt do you want to tell us a little bit about today's episode uh, for sure yeah and uh, also just a quick apology <laughs> for uh, we we haven't didn't make a video last week and that is just due to some scheduling errors and um, our pre our last episode that we made um, couple of listeners have informed us that the the sound there was a, some sound issues and yeah. we we figured out what was going on with that and we fixed that so um we just thank everybody who watched that video and uh powered through it uh thank you so much um today we are going to be like casey said continuing our live world building series and i thought it appropriate for us to cover magic science and religion so like these are things that in the real world are kind of the lines you know are always blurred you know <laughs> like some things in science that we know about scientifically today in the past and maybe even in our current consciousness seem magical you know and, and certain scientific concepts almost seem like magic um, and, and religion is tied up in there as well. Like this divide between these three things has not always been so clear. Um, and that kind of 
continues in the world building process because when you're building a world, whether that world is is fantasy or science fiction or you know any other really any any genre and you're world building a fan uh, or a fiction setting you kind of have to ask yourself like what is the rules of this world how are the elements how are the fictional elements going to play together and it's really interesting and complicated when you start to ask yourself um what is science like in this world what is magic like in this world and and what is religion like in this world and how do they intertwine so to start off um i think i there are a couple of questions to ask about magic in a in a fictional setting so there's some vocabulary here uh welcome to nerd vocabulary <laughs> lesson a hogwarts just throwing that out there <laughs> um so so there is a uh, hard and soft magic and then there's another kind of um magic system that not a lot of people talk about that i'll that i'll cover in a minute so why don't we start with that like um Last time we we built our world, we're building a, a sword and planet world. It's mostly going to be sort of um, science fantasy. Um, it is going to be set on a a sort of tidally locked planet with um, two uh, one side that's always facing the sun, one side that's never facing the sun. And then like this twilight zone in the middle that is lush and fertile. And, um, what else do you think was, uh, what is important to recap that we covered last episode? I think the technological, um, aspects we were going for is something I think we should touch base on. You know, about how we're focusing more on kind of like a medieval era style of technology, you know, like trebuchets that launch these high-tech plasma blasts. You know, something of that sort. So, I think just reminded everyone about that was good. Other than that, man, um, yeah, no, I think we're good to continue. Okay, so what? Let's let's define our terms. Um, hard and soft magic. What does that mean? And uh, so, hard magic systems, as I'm sure you know, Casey, are magic systems that have these established rules in the text, which both the reader and the characters understand and endeavoring to break these rules, uh, kind of provides tension. Um, navigating the rules provides tension. It's essentially magic as a tool set and a very specific tool set that solves very specific problems in very specific ways. And that is where the drama of this magic comes into play during the plot. If you have a magic user as a protagonist or an antagonist and they 
they need to use magic in a certain way, then a hard magic system provides a lot of drama and tension from this, the process in which the characters figure out how to use the magic system in the way they need to solve a problem. Um, so an example of this, uh, as uh, listeners will know, is probably Brandon Sanderson. Like pretty much Brandon Sanderson wrote the book when it comes to... Hey, hey, why? And I'm going to hang, hang on, bud. You're kind of cutting. Your audio is kind of cutting in and out. Um, oh, no. So sorry about that, guys. The weather's crazy here in the States. We got some crazy heat waves and tropical storms and stuff on the way. I think you might be good now, Wyatt. Okay. Um, so Brandon Sanderson wrote the book on hard magic systems. He is uh, known for his lectures, his uh, um, rules for writing good magic systems and rules for world building in general. Um, So, you know, if you want an example of people who write hard magic systems, look at the Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson. And then um, soft magic systems either neglect to establish clear methodology for magic or do so with kind of vagueness that when magic is used in a new way, the reader or the characters, neither the, neither the world or the themes are kind of undermined by the magic itself. And I know you're going to use token as an example of that, but something else I think is a really good example of this, why it is, what Howard created with Conan the Barbarian. He incorporated soft magic systems with Conan mm-hmm. quite a bit. It was a very subtle thing that just kind of lingered in the background. So, right. Yeah. And that kind of gets into the next category categorization of magic systems, which is uh, high and low. So we'll talk about that in a minute. Too, because um, Robert, Robert E. Howard and and the Hyborian Age really he he wrote soft magic in that it doesn't have clear rules and it's very undefined. But he also coupled that with a low magic setting where magic is rare and um, kind of weird and mis- and 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 not understood. So we'll get into that in a moment. But yeah, Tolkien is a good example of soft magic and I in a high magic setting, because think of the middle earth, there's magic everywhere, but is that magic understood? Is there, is there clear rules to that magic? Perhaps with regards to maybe the rings, for instance. Um, but like no one ever asks Gandalf what precise incantations he needs to say to cast a spell. You know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Or um, why didn't the eagles just fly the hobbits to Mount Doom? <laughs> yeah, I'm w- kidding. I'm kidding. I know why <laughs> you they would. Don't don't kill me for that. <laughs> so, and then there is kind of a secret third avenue to take with with magic systems, and um, I get this from a YouTuber net called uh, named Dale Kingsmill, and she has a YouTube channel called Monarch Factory. And she does a lot of YouTube videos about like uh, D and D and 
how how DMs can make their D&D settings interesting. And she talks about a pervasive magic system. And I think this is a really interesting third option to add because uh, as she kind of describes pervasive magic, it's, uh, it's a magic system where the magic doesn't have any real definition, but that's because the magic is not so much a, a system of solving problems or a tool as much as it is kind of a, a force of nature. So instead of thinking of, of magic as saying a certain incantation and casting a spell or um, doing a certain ritual or something like that, um, magic is kind of more, like I said, it's like this force of nature. It's like things that happen around you rather than, uh, any any sort of tool that that the characters are able to manipulate. So that's kind of like three good options for how to incorporate magic in a setting. Um, and then just before we talk about how this fits into our world that we're building on on this uh, series, in this series, you also have the categories of low and high magic. So as we've already kind of talked about, low magic worlds are mostly normal, like kind of everything seems like that operates the same way as it does in the real world for us. Um, but magic elements are very subtle, like you said, and also very significant because most of the time it, in a low magic setting, the the magic happening the spell being cast the the event happening is significant because magic is so rare and it's either rare or it's unheard of so you know what one setting that uh, a lot of people wouldn't think of but probably as soon as i say it they'll know yeah yeah it was is george r r martin um with the a song of ice and fire world magic is extremely rare in that world. Um, and the he kind of does a similar thing as Robert E. Howard, where the magic is, is also soft. It is not defined. No one knows exactly how it works. Um, and so, uh, yeah, a low magic setting is A Song of Ice and Fire by George R. R. Martin. And then, um, finally, you have high magic worlds, which are written with prolific magic systems in mind. Like the magic is common. It's common in nature of the world. It's common in utility by the people. It is everywhere and everyone's using, everyone's doing it. And a good example of high magic is, um, think of the forgotten realms by R.A. Salvatore, or he's one of the writers for the forgotten realms where, or, right. Go ahead. Sorry, Wyatt. I, I've just been waiting for an opportunity to throw this out there. James, you'll love me for this. The Grishaverse. That. Okay. Yeah. Is yeah. a very, very high magic world. Um, so, just if y'all haven't read it, I totally recommend it. Yeah. Continue. So, so the now that we have kind of our terms defined and our categories before us for our sword and planet world. Um, how, how do you, what kind of magic do you, do you vibe with for this? Honestly, man, um, 
from my background and stuff, I gotta go with with subtle magic, man. You know, like I've always, well, you know, low magic, because I've always wanted. You know, when people think fantasy, and this is something I wanted to touch base on since we are kind of on this subject, Wyatt. When people think of, you know, fantasy, there's high fantasy, there's low fantasy. Low magic and high magic are not the same as high fantasy and low fantasy. Um, But I was thinking, you know, subtle magic in the world, you know, maybe some ancient gods or something or an ancient sect of sorcerers that created these stargates from which our protagonist arrives from you know something of that sort when it happens is very like rare but prominent that's mm-hmm. what i'm thinking what about you so i i agree yeah, I agree. And especially since science is going to be playing a, a bigger role in the story as well. This is a, you know, sword and planet science fantasy. These settings are kind of really fun playgrounds for fantasy writers because it's not you don't just have to worry about your magic system. You can you can say, you know, I don't want very much magic, but I want some crazy, fantastic things to be happening. Oh, well, I have science. I have technology. There's like the, it's this playground in which you can interject the, the fundamental elements of sci-fi and fantasy at the same time. So definitely, um, I think soft magic and low magic is a good way to go. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, especially when we get to religion, because what we kind of, we did talk a little bit about what religion might look like in the last episode, but with what we talked about before, I think soft and low magic is going to be a good, a good zone for this where, you know, it's going to be rare. It's going to be odd. It's going to be something that if a character uses it, it's, it's wow you know it's like i can't believe they just did that and no one i like the idea of like people not really understanding how it works or maybe even having just one society that that kind of vaguely understands how it works so yeah soft low magic um is what i'm voting then it seems our votes are good. Now, one thing I wanted to talk about, um, just before we make any more decisions or continue our discussion here, um, what's your favorite magic system? Do you like pervasive, soft, or hard? I have recently begun to realize the existence of pervasive magic. And when I find it in stories, it always makes me feel a lot, a lot more than other magic systems. Uh, As people probably know from our genre talks, I find hard magic systems to be tedious. Um, Like 
for some people, it is really fun to, to learn all of these rules and, and kind of wish fulfillment kind of imagine themselves in the setting. Um, I, I don't f- at reading a book. I don't find that very fun. Um, maybe in a more interactive medium like video games is that can, that kind of magic system is fun, but uh, not in a novel. I, I really like um, pervasive magic systems and soft kind of is more common. So I like soft as well, but you know, there's something about a setting that is, uh, that is just, you know, teeming with this unknown force, like probably the most recent example of a pervasive magic system that I have seen is, uh, everybody get ready to, to boo Anthem. (laughs) Um, if you don't know what Anthem is, it is a video game released by Bioware. It was majorly controversial and riddled with bugs. It, by all accounts, it was a terrible, terrible game. Um, but the lore in the world had like this thing called the Anthem of Creation. And, and like it's this music, this sound that plays um, uh, across the world. And it's this magical force that just creates things. So, so imagine, Casey, if you will, a song. You hear a song coming on the wind and all of a sudden a gigantic hurricane just pops out of nowhere and begins ripping mountains, (laughs) like ripping mountains apart. And, you know, in the game, that's what that happens. And it's what's called a cataclysm. That sort of thing happens. And that, that to me is a very pervasive magic system. It's like everything is touched by this, but no one knows how to use it. Nothing can be done to stop it generally. And people just kind of live with it. And I found the setting for Anthem to be so interesting because of that. If nothing else about the game worked, I felt like the setting worked. You know, I I agree with you. I remember being so hyped for Anthem and something told me don't buy it at launch. You know, so I waited and I got it for five bucks at GameStop and that was five bucks as a brand new game not used Mm -hmm. so that there kind of gave me a big red flag and you're right storyline of is very interested however the unfortunately the gameplay was a little lackluster good concept poor delivery yeah yeah but i i agree the setting for it was very um even today is a very inspirational and unique setting compared to the many other settings that they use for traditional video games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tragic. Just, just tragic. Um, but moving on not to, to let's get away from, from the trauma of all Bioware fans everywhere. Um, <laughs> uh, I think, you know, I was going to say we should cover science next, but, we did kind of talk about science in the last video. So maybe skip to something that's a little bit more fresh. Yeah. Cause I think the type of science we're going to go for honestly would be like a science fantasy setting. I think honestly, that would be one that would fit our needs the best. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. And that's kind of what we talked about last week. If I remember or last episode, if I remember, um, so 
yeah, let's let's talk about religion. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, religion. Oh, a topic I never thought we would oh, discuss on this podcast, but my here we god. Are. <laughs> Literally. So, uh religion is complicated <laughs> if anyone doesn't know that. So, please know that in world building religions, you you cannot cannot account for for everything that comes with world building a religion or a system of beliefs like it, it took it's like religions are thousands of years in the making and um, are living things you know like they're constantly changing they're constantly um, being adapted by the cultures being m- interpreted and reinterpreted in a lot of ways. And then, and then re reinterpreted, you know, as like, you know, countercultural movements come up and stuff like that. So it, it's very complicated topic. So when you're world building religion, just take it easy on yourself and cover the basics first. And that's kind of what we're going to do um, here. So, you know, for me, I think in categories. When I'm world building, I I think the like cat. Be- Excuse me, I'm sorry. Figuring out the basic categories in which things fit helps me cover those basics and then get more in detail from the ground up. So with religion, I think of three categories for a fictional setting. One is um, kind of what I what I would call real, real, as in like in the story and in the text, the gods, the spirits, the whatever are real. Like they they exist, they are verifiably confirmed, um, and regardless of their role and and you know the way they treat mortals, mortal beings, non gods. Um, they at least exist. So a couple of examples would be, you know, the Percy Jackson books. Excuse me. The person, the Percy Jackson books are good examples of this. You know, the Greek gods, all of the gods. I mean, like God, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Rick Riordan is like (laughs) covered everything. I, what's next? Like the Mayans, the Aztec, like that. Everyone's going to, everyone's gods are going to be real. And Percy Jackson is going to meet them all. Um. So Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, yeah. Aslan. Aslan. Aslan um. You know, basically I, Jesus. I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember reading. Um, I think it was Prince Caspian, where um, no, or maybe it was the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Anyways, it was one of them. And Aslan was just like, "In your world, I go by another name," and I was like, "Boy, you Jesus." I got you. Yeah, I and know, I know who you are. C.S. Lewis was like pretty open about that. Like, <laughs> like he, yeah. he was he was like, yes, it is a fantasy world that is exact, pretty much a algorit like an allegory for Christianity. Um, so yeah, God is real in Narnia, and his name is Aslan. Um, 
Uh, and then you know, the Forgotten Realms from from R.A. Salvatore. Gods exist there, and they have a really complex relationship with mortal beings. Um, Let's, if you don't mind, why let me talk about cultural gods for a bit. Okay, so that's the next. I do category. have a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to catch you before you uh, started working on it. Um, so, as you may or may not know, I have some Cherokee blood in me, and you know. The Cherokees, they didn't really, their religion was a little different compared to like Christianity or the Greek pantheon. They saw not gods, but they worshiped the spirits of the earth, you know, the mother sky. Um, I, I, I could go on and on with it, but cultural gods is what we for the most part and again those of you who are religious please do not take offense by this it's not meant that way but cultural gods are our world you know like look at the greek pantheon look at the roman pantheon the aztecs so on and so forth so many different cultural pantheons and gods yet the existence of these deities aren't verifiable some of which they're even questionable but why as we discussed earlier you know theology and religious institutions still exist in the world due to these beliefs and traditions hell they even build entire cultures and societies based off of these um they may not be real they may be real um but the effect that they've had on the story of humanity now that is the biggest effect Mm -hmm. and you can incorporate that into a setting you can utilize that um for example um i was reading this book i'll again need to check the name of it um i've read so many books i'm losing count but there's this book about this guy who was traveling across this Greek meadows, you know, and he was trying to go see his wife. He saw Athens on fire. And when he went to run towards his wife, instead of Athens, a bolt of lightning struck down in front of him. So instead of him going to his wife, he took that as a sign from the gods and went to Athens. He later saved Athens and became this mighty like Athenian war general because he helped go to Athens and fight whatever was going on. And while the existence of the Greek pantheon is highly questionable in that setting the effect it had on the story was tremendous right so so you know in a in a fictional setting cultural gods may express themselves in the form of like a church or a religious institution and the expression of the religion in that world will mainly be about about the characters and their their relationship to their beliefs and a good example of this is uh, is actually Dragon Age, because you in Dragon Age, um, they 
gone to a lot of lengths to either hide or deny the existence of gods in their setting, even though the religion in the setting of the Dragon Age, uh, video games by Bioware, if you don't know, um, is very important to the setting. So you have the organization organization called the Chantry. And the Chantry believes in a god, a monotheistic god called the Maker. And the Maker is, as of yet, unproven. No, There, there is no evidence whatsoever um, that the Maker exists. And yet, there's this there's one of the major institutions in the world believes in the Maker, espouses the Maker, and has great cultural sway over most of the world in, in these games and books. There's books and comics and all kinds of things. So a, a cultural religion is kind of expressed in that way, where it's the characters and their drama that is the center, the, the way that the religion expresses itself, not necessarily like real gods speaking with mortal beings. And then, you know, finally, in my head, there is a, another category, which is misunderstood gods or misunderstood religions. And by, by this, I mean that these are, you know, the, the central focal points of the religion, whether it's spirits, um, you know, whatever, these entities are kind of seen as deities by the, by people and kind of worshiped, but they aren't actually like gods. Strictly speaking, they're more like ancient beings, eldritch horrors, higher consciousnesses. They're not Mm. like, they seem like gods to people who don't understand them, but they aren't actually like deities. And that's a, you know, that is fun to play with in writing because you are kind of playing around with what exactly is a god. What does, what does it mean to be a deity? Um, and, and if it means that you're sufficiently powerful and can change the lives of millions, you know, okay, so maybe that's a god. You know, that's a fun philo- philosophical thing to play around with. Can, can I interject real quick, Wyatt? There's actually a few things you and I disagree on with this, but that's okay. Um, that's that's why we have this podcast, guys. Um, I am going to um, ask you a question here, and this is just the philosophical side of me coming out. How do we define gods by definition in the literature world? Because... You're, you're placing eldritch beings under misunderstood gods. Who's to say, like, what what makes them different than a verifiable god in a high fantasy setting is kind of what I'm wanting to know. Well, that's... They're both supreme beings. They both could have power over nature. They both could have power over mortals. And, you know, they both are incapable of understanding human morality because they exist beyond morality or they become judges of morality that too so so what 
what defines divinity in that sense? Right. Well, well, that that's the uh, that's the central question, isn't it? Like, like for for a if you are going to include like beings like this or entities like this in a fictional setting, then that is going to be the a question that you address in the text. You know, like um, right now. Know, um, I'm going to put my tinfoil on my head here for this, for this next statement. Why? So you, uh, you prepare yourself for this, get the microwaves ready. Um, so in our current setting that we're building, you know, we're on this tidally locked planet. There's obviously some high technology going on, but it, you know, not, not a whole lot. It, it's kind of a mix, you know? But we discussed on the last episode the existence of these all-powerful super AI entities that are traversing the galaxy or the universe, what have you. And they're in this battle with, you know, these eldritch beings. I I don't know if you remember that discussion, but... Yeah, I, I, um, I remember. So, at what point... Does an AI entity become a god? Because it obviously is more powerful than humanity, especially on an intellectual level. It understands human constructs of morality. It can basically mimic us if it wanted to. So you you know what I mean? Like, at mm-hmm. what point does that become a god? Yeah, and, and so there's a guy. Uh, very problematic guy, not going to say any, like, not going to say anything about his beliefs or thoughts or anything like that. But there is a, a philosopher and neuroscientist named Sam Harris. Um, and he is, he did a Ted talk on AI one time and I found it very compelling. And it, he was basically saying that, you know, once we develop a higher than average intelligence, artificial intelligence um, program, then that that program will begin to increase in intelligence exponentially. Like, and there's no way we could stop it. And he, he basically said that once that is created, then you have essentially created God for all intents and purposes, because that being will be able to, for instance, hack any sort of uh, any sort of central intelligence networks be able to be in control of any sort of military operate like there's you could not stop it so um you know you could take that to mean skynet <laughs> you could take that to mean just the terminator mm-hmm. um or there's another way that i have entertained this is a thought that i've entertained which is kind of what the operative thought process that led me to what we talked about last week, which is what if that AI that is created is not interested in destroying life um, and destroying us, but becomes kind of more interested in mediating our existence like a zoo owner. Correcting us. Co- correcting us. In yes. A sense. So like a zoo owner, essentially like, you know, 
you we the humans look at animals and like oh stupid big dumb animals uh, people throw rocks at them whatever um and it's like you know you think of the zookeeper as like this person that's managing the existence of all of these different species and like creating creating habitats for them and uh maximizing those habitats for their good and so well hopefully anyways if it's a good zookeeper um uh not the tiger king <laughs> and uh so that's how i'm thinking of the ai in this world of like these super intelligent beyond our understanding in programs um that have essentially surpassed our level to comprehend them and is and become kind of zookeepers over this world and trying to because the eldritch beings are chaos and disorder and bringing in you know corruption maybe it's magic maybe it's something else um that is disrupting the environment that the ai has built to preserve life then uh that is why they are they're not necessarily the ai isn't necessarily like benevolent as in it's trying it loves humanity it's trying or whatever species it's trying to protect these species it's more concerned with like you know maybe maybe it's like this as callous as just it wants to research social interaction you know what i mean like it's kind of this this scientific mind that's trying to research or maybe it's just you know trying to keep a stable environment because it values life you know I don't want to keep rambling here, but there's another scientific concept that I think could be really interesting. And let me know what you think about this. Um, but this, there's a scientific concept called the Fermi paradox, which is, uh, you know, why are we alone? Why, or why, do, why does it seem that we're alone? You know, it, the universe is old enough that life should be everywhere. And yet we don't see any of it. Um, and one of the answers to the Fermi paradox is that life is rare and few and far between, and it kind of gets filtered out, um, as it develops. Uh, and so in such a way that like intelligent galaxy spanning civilizations just don't make it like they kill themselves or their planet dies or something happens that, that causes the species to die out. Um, so maybe that is kind of true. You know, what if this world is set in the distant future or in a distant future somewhat where life is becoming more and more rare in the universe and the AI knows this and it's like, okay, well, we have to protect life at any cost because there's none of it left maybe or or maybe the the star that this planet is orbiting is is a rogue star that's like between galaxies and there's no way that like any other life could exist outside of this planet you know something like that i love it now one thing i was thinking okay and why I'm sure you'll agree with me. If not, that's okay. Um, 
we can have a combination of all three of these religious types. We can have real gods who are verifiably confirmed. We can have the misunderstood gods, like the AI, or the eldritch beings. And we can have gods who have not been verified, but still influence certain societal trends on the tidally locked planet. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, for sure, yeah. Go, going back to Robert E. Howard, he did a mix of real and cultural gods. Like, look at um, look at the Setites in his in his comics. They worship Set, a snake god who was verified. But there's also Krom on his mountain throne above, who did not care to bother with the petty throes of mortals below so Krom's existence is not verifiable but still yet yeah, there are many you know cultural beliefs and traditions that Krom influenced so mm-hmm. I think if we're going to incorporate religion why I think it would be good if we had a mix yeah. Kind of leave the door open. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. And, and definitely like, you know, with the groundwork of, of the AI versus the Eldritch beings, um, we definitely have, you know, a setup for a misunderstood. I mean, you know, the, in, in Lovecraftian works, they're, they're called the great old ones. Um, they're called, you know, you can call them the elder gods, you know, like they might not even be misunderstood if you think about it. Like if we're using Percy Jackson as an example, not all gods and not all pantheons have a being that is, you know, all the all the omnis, you know, omnibenevolent, omnipresent. Like sometimes these gods are just as limited as mortals, just not in the same ways. So you know, maybe the eldritch beings are kind of the real gods side of things because they're, they're real, they're verifiable. Um, and they, they pretty much play the role of deities. They have power over nature. They have power over the universe. They have power over even the laws of physics. Um, so deities like, you know, and then on the other side, you have the AI, which are kind of misunderstood, but basically, at least with regards to like intelligence gods compared to mortals. So I definitely think that a, a mix is warranted, especially given the fact that religion itself is so complicated. Yeah. Sorry for the silence. I've I've just stuck on the idea of Eldritch being versus AI super god. <laughs> it's it's definitely um, like one of those quirky ideas like like you think of like in a in a, a YouTube video about like Godzilla versus a Power Ranger. <laughs> like what like what's the big the big uh, robots that the Power Rangers get in at the end of every episode. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those quirky like what would beat the other, but I think it's actually a really good setup for a dramatic world. 
So we did some progress on our world building. We definitely talked about the type of magic system we want to introduce. We kind of already figured out the science portion on the last episode. And honestly, I think we're, um, I think we made a good decision why going with just multiple religious types. Because, you know, it makes the lore richer. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't push us into a corner with it. Um, I don't know about you, but I think this might be a good time for us to stop and maybe go grab some coffee. Uh, yeah, sure. Next time we'll uh, maybe delve into some more detail over some of these elements we've talked about. Oh, of course. I'm really interested to see how we're going to incorporate magic into the world. So... Anytime we mix magic with science, that's something that's always kind of drawn me into any story. So, yeah, that's what I'm excited about. Alrighty. All right. Well, ladies, gentlemen, everyone else, thank you for listening. If you're a reader, keep on reading. If you're a writer, keep on writing. Shout out to the audience listening in. You all are awesome. Thank you for joining us. And honestly, eat a cup of yogurt this week, unless you're lactose intolerant. Don't don't do that. But eat a cup of yogurt. <laughs> it's healthy for you. Random Keep wishes. Up. <laughs> Random wishes yeah, to know. our lovely viewers. I know. Just Absolutely. just eat a cup of yogurt. Just but drink a cup of kombucha. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, that's some good stuff, okay? For sure, yeah. Hey, homemade. <laughs> homemade. Well, listen, I just go to Walmart to buy that stuff. <laughs> but all right, y'all take it easy. See ya. Bye.